You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Oh God, by your Holy Spirit, that our hearts would know that you are our portion, that you're enough. Help us believe it, that you really are enough. Be our bread be our cup evermore, Lord Jesus. Amen. Oh, what a week it's been. And I really can't say that it's been a week because it wasn't until Thursday that things really began to shift. Uh, even as of Friday morning, we expected here to gather with extra precautions. But now we gather as a family as an individual as a small group but we still all gather as the body of Christ and Jesus is here and it's hard for us to remember anything that even happened before Thursday or Friday have you thought about that have you reflected back on the final week and you think What was happening as it led up to that moment when I realized everything changed and everyone in my family, I think, has coronavirus? And as we began our gathering this morning, I couldn't help but feel the uniqueness of the moment that maybe for the first time in our lives, we had just an inkling of what it felt like and what it feels like for our brothers and sisters in places like northern Nigeria, in Iran, in China, that are only able to gather around God's word in small groups in the freedom that we enjoy to gather together here on a Sunday morning is so precious, and yet every single one of us takes it for granted. And I don't want you to lose that feeling. I want you to treasure it. I want you to hold on to it. To be grateful for it. But in the meantime, welcome to Radio Free Gospel. And for better or for worse, this is not an uncommon experience for God's people. That is this inability to remember who we are and who God is. Because of our propensity to lose perspective and to see only what is happening in front of us, we need reminding. We need to be reminded of our own brokenness, but above all, our total dependence on the Lord God. Let's look together this morning at Exodus 17. And I would encourage you to open your Bibles with me because I not only want us to look at the text that's printed in the bulletin, but to look at others as well. That's on page 59 if you have one of those Advent leather-bound Bibles. Exodus 17 is a pivotal moment in the life of the people of God. When you read this, Exodus 17 doesn't seem that bad. But then, as time goes on, this is the day that God and others hearken back to to say this was the day that changed everything. This was a turning point 
in the wandering of the wilderness, this was the great rebellion that by God in his wrath said, this generation will not enter into the promised land. This day is mentioned over and over again, maybe more than any other day in the course of the Bible. And so it's important that we pay attention and understand exactly what's happening here in Exodus 17 and why it really is so bad and what the remedy for it is. In order to understand where we've gotten in Exodus 17, we have to back up to Exodus 15. Because this is the very beginning of the wandering in the wilderness. This is not 39 and a half years later, just as they're about to enter the promised land over the Jordan into Jericho. But not long at all. In Exodus 14, the Israelites crossed the Red Sea with Pharaoh's armies bearing down on them. And as a result of God's great deliverance of having them walk across in this incredible miracle on dry land, terrifying, and yet there is God on their side. Moses sings as soon as they get over to the other side, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. They couldn't believe it. Amazing. God is providing for his people, and not just in crossing over the Red Sea, but a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on to the promised land and a fiery pillar of night. And God watches over them because there as they cross the Red Sea, the pillar of cloud goes from before them to actually going behind them to stand between God's people and Pharaoh's armies. He shepherds his people that even in the valley of the shadow of death, I am with you, my rod and my staff, they comfort you. But then in verse 22, Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days into the wilderness and found no water. Three days! after the Red Sea. Now, three days without water is a tremendously long time. But there's every indication that they had water with them. But of course, they were getting anxious. Supplies were running low. But when they came to Merah, they couldn't drink the water of Merah because it was bitter. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? Moses, you're in charge here. And so Moses cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. That is, that when they came to Merah after three days without finding a source of water, they get there, and the streams were too bitter. And so God says to Moses, throw a log in, and God made the water sweet. But notice that the people grumbled to Moses. They were anxious. And it was just an observation. What do you think we should do about the water situation? And God petitioned the Lord and he provided for them water. Now it's interesting that immediately on the heels of that, 
In verse 27, it says, they came to Elam where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and there they encamped by the water. You see that God had already planned on giving them water, and yet in his mercy, he gave them water at Merah. But Elam was just around the corner. I mean, how often are we in a situation where we really can't see the end of it, and in our own finiteness, we can't see around the corner to what God is going to do, and yet God has an oasis right there for his people. He will not allow them to perish. And so God makes the water sweet at Merah, and he provides them the oasis of 12 springs of water and 70 palms in Elam. So God has proved himself through the Red Sea, through Merah, through Elam. But now we get to the issue of I'm thirsty, but now I'm hungry. Chapter 16, verse 2. Well, actually, before we get there, look at that, which is in verse 1. Between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. So they're only two and a half months into the journey. Two and a half months into 40 years. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And the Lord speaks through Moses. Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and all the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. God answers them by providing food. Once again, they're putting God to the test, but really the test is against the people of Israel. I mean, it's remarkable for us in hindsight to look back at the people of Israel and say, now wait a minute, God brought you through the Red Sea, he gave you water at Merah, he provided the oasis at Elam, don't you think he's going to take care of you? But no. And furthermore, we're not on our way to the promised land. Two and a half months into it, we think, you've only brought us out here to kill us. And in fact, I would have rather died in Egypt we have spiritual amnesia. Each and every single one of us is a natural-born grumbler. And when we encounter difficulty, it ought to give us a reality of check, a reality check of what is important and what is not. I mean, because there's a difference between observing something and grumbling. It's, it's one thing to say, what should we do about something to drink in Merah? It's something wholly different to say, would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. And so by the time we get to, verse, to chapter 17, 
we see that there once again was no water to drink, but in verse two, therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. No longer, how is God gonna provide for us, but give us something. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children? They brought the kids into it, and our livestock with thirst. So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. What went from observation into grumbling, which Moses countered with God's word, God is going to provide food for us, now that grumbling has even overwhelmed Moses. Because when Moses comes to the Lord, he doesn't say, oh Lord, give me the word to speak for them, I'm going to gather the people in a prayer assembly, and we're going to pray and cry out to you that you would provide for us. But no, Moses is worried about himself, they're going to kill me. And so Moses becomes totally turned in on himself in the same way that all of these Israelites, hundreds of thousands, if not more, in the desert have turned on in of themselves as well. Their pastor has caught the infection of grumbling. And grumbling is infectious. And it shows our lack of perspective I mean, the Israelites have lost complete touch with reality. And it's one thing for Moses to get up and say, God is going to provide manna from heaven. It's one thing for Moses to throw the log into the pond. It's another thing for God to provide the oasis at Elam. But what we see here is that actually Moses giving God's word to the people is not necessarily that effective Where the infection really comes is when the Israelites are talking one to another. And often when we hear people grumbling to us, it's met with silence. And when we meet grumbling with silence, it's actually an affirmation of the grumbling. And so what would have been most effective, yes, that Moses would have given them a word from the Lord, but when an Israelite is wandering through the desert and surely suffering, but when they say, would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, that the fellow Israelite says, you've lost it. And sometimes it may be a gentle nudge. It may be, you know, brother, that's not the reality of Egypt. Look at what God has done and his faithfulness and how he's brought us this far and he's not brought us this far to leave, leave us and even though we're suffering under this present circumstance, there is God leading us to the promised land. And yes, we're going to suffer discouragement in the here and now, but we are not citizens of this earth for we have a heavenly country where our citizenship and our hopes lie. It may take a gentle nudge when it comes to grumbling, and then it may actually also take a hammer. Meat pots? That's what you remember about Egypt? When someone says, remember when we had toilet paper in Egypt? Remember, wasn't that really great? I don't understand the, the, the connection between toilet paper and coronavirus, but this is the sort of thing that's happening. 
with the people of Egypt. It's not at all different from us, but to actually say, do you remember what it was like? Slavery under Pharaoh, bricks without straw, the plagues, you've lost touch with the reality of the situation. And yet, rather than checking grumbling, we actually create venues for it. It's called Facebook, where people can shoot off about any other thing. And the thing about grumbling is that it's not just to complain about, you know, God should give us water, but even when we make little complaints like, I'm thirsty. We need to understand that all the complaints go to the top. All the complaints go to the top. That when we say, life isn't going my way, what we're really saying when we're grumbling is that I deserve better. Or that worse yet, God should reward me for who I am. Or maybe even, I kind of trust God, but I don't trust him with this. And so I lash out. Now time keeps us from moving on, but you can look at Psalm 95, which we mentioned today, which harkens back to this day in the wilderness, this day of testing and quarreling, this day of great disobedience where Moses himself had succumbed to it, and Hebrews chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, where the author of Hebrews writes, quoting Psalm 95, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. How are we encouraging one another on? And yes, sometimes even checking one another and saying, the Lord God is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Do you not remember the great works that God has done in our lives and he's not led us this far simply to leave us? And so we have an active role to pastor one another as Israelite to Israelite, as children of the new covenant to other children of the new covenant to encourage, to exhort, and sometimes to check in the midst of grumbling and in the midst of fear. But how does God respond? God responds by telling Moses to strike the rock and when he strikes the rock, out of it water shall come, and the people will drink. In the midst of their rebellion, in their midst of putting the Lord to the test, in the midst of their quarreling, God in his mercy gives them water. St. Paul comments on this very moment in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning with the first verse. For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food 
and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ nevertheless with most of them God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness God responds in mercy and what he's trying to show them throughout the entirety of the exodus in their wandering in the wilderness is God's pattern of salvation of his mighty acts and interventions into the life of his people even when they don't deserve it and Paul Hebrews Psalm 95 Exodus 17 cautions us to say you may be a member of the community of God and you may be even circumcised of the flesh but not circumcised of the heart you may drink the spiritual drink you may eat the spiritual food you may have grown up in the church your whole life you may have been baptized but your heart is hardened to receive what the Lord is doing and in those times of testing where do you turn who do you turn to Yes, you may be thirsty. Yes, you may be hungry. Yes, you may be fearful. But God is doing a great work in the life of his people. And as his people, with his spirit working in our hearts, we don't cry out for water. We don't cry out for food because we pray that God would bring us to a place where we really do believe that he's going to provide for us our daily bread. But we hear the words of Jesus, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. We hunger and thirst for his righteousness we don't worry about our body perishing as much as we fear losing the Lord God himself yes Jesus I'm afraid but I know I'm safe in you yes Jesus I'm thirsty but I thirst for you more Lord I'm hungry but I hunger for you more And when we're brought into the wilderness, it's those times where God does test us. Is Jesus enough? Is he enough? Do you trust him? Not just in the mountaintops, not just in times of plenty, not just in times when your vacation's not interrupted. But do you trust him now? Because in this time of uncertainty and anxiety, science tells us that this is all going to go away. But let that not give you the comfort that you really need. Trust in Jesus and know that though this body be destroyed, yet shall we live and so brothers and sisters we ask the question this morning is the Lord among us or not 
The Lord is my strength and song, and He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise Him. My Father's God, and I will exalt Him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is His name. Let us pray. Oh, God, we confess to you that in our hearts we grumble and often we speak it aloud. Lord, give us a faith that trusts that you are going to provide for our every need and that you are our good shepherd, that you go before us and you go behind us and you put a hedge of protection around us and that you are our great physician. But Lord, make it our ultimate concern not that we would just save ourselves as in the day of rebellion when Moses cried out, save me, Lord. But Lord, that we would care more about you than we even do ourselves. And in this moment, that we would take advantage of it, Lord, for this is a gospel moment, that we would boldly proclaim your love to the nations and that we might minister to one another and love one another as you have loved us, willing to lay our lives down for the sake of one another and for the glory of your name. Lord, deliver us from a spirit of fear and let us know that you are the Lord of hosts, a man of war. Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.